0: Good morning, everyone. There are some people I don't know, so I can introduce myself. My name's Kevin McCutcheon. I'm an elder here at the church. Been for, we were trying to figure that out a while back. Huh? Yeah. (laughs) Open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 2. It's interesting when Matt gave me this one. This, this portion of scripture, I was like, why don't I just skip through this and go right to later on in the, uh, in the uh, chapter and talk about justification by faith. But you know what? God's word, everything in it is for our benefit. Everything in it is for our edification and our teaching. Correct? So let me read. I'm going to read out of the New American Standard. So... Uh, guys, do you got it up there? This is kind of loud, isn't it? No, you're all right. Oh, it sure feels loud. Okay. So, chapter 2, verse 1. Then, after an interval of 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. And it was because of a revelation that I went up, and I submitted to them the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles. But I did so in private to those who were of reputation for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. But it was because of the false brethren who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus in order to bring us into bondage. But we did not yield in subjection to them for even one hour so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. But from those who were of high reputation, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Well, those who were of reputation contributed nothing to me. But on the contrary, seeking that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised, for he who effectually worked for Peter in his apostleship to the circumcised effectually worked for me also to the Gentiles. And recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James and Cephas and John, who were, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They only asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was also eager to do. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For prior to coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of circumcision. And the rest of the Jews joined him in this hypocrisy, with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in the presence of all, If you, being a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? I'm going to go to verse 15. We are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. That sinners is in quotes, and I'm gonna to get to that at some point. So as this letter was read throughout the churches of Galatia, Paul was defending his apostleship to the churches, but he was also defending the gospel that he had been preaching for some seventeen years. This gospel of salvation came with power. It was the it was the words Of God that changed men's hearts. The gospel of Christ has the power to transform our lives. Transform it, change it. Paul came to Jerusalem not to make sure that the gospel he preached was right. He already knew that. He said he had a revelation. Rick talked about that last week. He knew it was God's revelation. But to present to the apostles the good news that no one can be saved by adding to what God had done. The power of salvation rests in God alone. I'm going to to say that again. The power of salvation rests in God alone. Through the preaching of the gospel and not observing the Mosaic law. Paul wrote to the Galatians of the one true gospel that saves. Saves, as we said last week, Hebrews 7, 25 says, to the uttermost. Yet not only did the Judaizers came in to to dilute the message, they called on adding more to what Christ had done, adulterating and contaminating the purity of the message. Paul also called out the churches of Galatia, didn't he? in chapter 1, about leaving this great salvation. And he even called out the leadership of the church. Uh Uh-oh. The leadership of the church. Peter, because he was not standing firm in the truth of God. He called Peter out publicly. This was very important. And we're going to see why. And he wrote to the church of his jealous heart. For them not to leave the gospel that came with power. He wrote this in, in the book of Romans. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God. That brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew. Then to the Gentile. For in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith. From first first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. The good news of salvation rests as we, as I said before, in God's hands alone. Yet what Paul wrestled with is what I say what we call today the self-help gospel. What can I do? What can I do to help you, God? What can I do? Wasn't that the first lie? It was the only lie. Every other lie came from that. Self-alliance, self-improvement, self-optimization. You know what that is? Stepping up the ladder of success. In other words, not looking to God, but to ourselves to save us. God's power to deliver from first to last is not about turning over a new leaf. Because the leaf is the same on the other side. We need the power of God to change the human heart. And that's what happened to Paul, as Rick said last week. You know, it's interesting. I was reading... About Tony Robbins. Does anybody know Tony Robbins? The self-help guru. Right? But it's interesting. If it's self-help, how come I need a, a guru? Right? Do you know how much money he's made? $600 million. And every time he goes to a conference, it's a million bucks. Just to hear him talk. It's... It blows me away. But the funny thing is, is that all he does is keeps turning over the leaf for years. But Jesus is about a new creation, isn't he? But that 600 million kind of illustrated to me that people have a hole in their heart. That only God can fill. And so somebody else can come in and say, just do this and you can be saved. Just do this and you'll be okay. Just do this and everything will be okay and all right. But we know that's not how it is, right? Paul was the one who felt he was doing God's work, that his life had meaning. He arrested innocent people. He put them in jail. He murdered those against his religion, which I believe is the first cancel culture. He was canceling them out. He had anger in his, anger and, and hate in his heart. But on the way to Damascus, bam. His whole world, as Rick said last week, was turned upside down. I would say this, his whole world was turned right side up. In, in Luke chapter 19, there, this was another guy that I thought about. His name is Zacchaeus. And Jesus entered and was passing through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. And he was a chief tax gatherer but he was rich and he was trying to see who jesus was and he was unable because of the crowd for he was small in stature and he ran ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him for he was about to pass that way and when jesus came to the place he looked up and said hey zacchaeus come on down let's have dinner together And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. And when they saw it, when they saw it, oh, a tax gatherer. What would that be for us, a bias? Oh, he's talking to a liberal. Oh, my gosh. He's talking to a conservative. He's talking to a homosexual. He's talking to a transgender. What's Jesus doing here? They, when they saw it, they began to grumble. And he's gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. He said, Lord. So think about A million dollar portfolio. Half of it I'll give away. Gone. Now I'm also gonna go back and I'm gonna, anybody who I've defrauded, I will give four times as much. That boy didn't have nothing left. But that was the transformation of his heart. He had met Jesus and he was changed. You know, I was thinking about me. June 6, 1990. I called myself a functional addict. Functional because I had two jobs, played in a band, but I did a ton of drugs. I did whatever I wanted to do. And I used to say, I, well, I used to quit. And I quit many times. If you've quit many times, are you really quitting? (laughs) Right? But the night God came to me, because he came to me, and the gospel, the the words of God came to my heart, heard his voice, changed me immediately. I haven't done drugs, obviously, in 30-something years now but other things left at the same time because that desire was gone. Now, I know the power of God. That night, I ran faster than the chariots of Ahab. I know because I had to look it up. The supernatural power of God. I was healed that night. The supernatural power of God, but that wasn't the greatest power. The greatest power was when I asked Anne's father for her hand. And he looked at me and he said, I see the change in you. And I said, This is that's Jesus. That's what's changed me. The word for salvation is the word soteria. It means deliverance. A safe return. The process by which almighty God provides rescue to mankind. This is what we experience in him. Salvation. Our safe return home. This is what Paul preached when he went to Jerusalem. And he said, okay, we agree. We agree on this. The power of salvation in the gospel can be understood in three distinct ways. Through the Holy Spirit's sanctifying work. Let me read this out of 2 Corinthians 1, 9 and 10. Paul said this, Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves in order that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us, From so great a peril of death. And will deliver us. He on whom we have set our hope. And he will yet deliver us. Past. Present. Future. He is the deliverer. The salvation of God sets us apart for him. And there's three things. Can you put the first um, keynote? Is that what it's called? Keynote up. And Matt talked about this right before, so maybe I'm on, on the right track. Positional sanctification. What does that mean? Our unchanging position in Christ. It's done, it's finished. It's over. You can't add to anything that's been done. And yet we want to add something that's been done. For by grace you have been saved. Through faith. And that is not of yourselves. We can stop there. But it is the gift of God. Not a result of your works. That no one should boast. So in... The positional sanctification, there's so much. But here's here's a few. You are saved from the penalty of sin. Saved. You are delivered from the penalty of sin. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. We deserved God's wrath. We were instruments of wrath. But we are now children of God. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to his kind intention of his will. We are possessors of the divine nature. Do you guys believe that? His divine nature, his divine power, excuse me, has granted us to everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory. We are new creations, If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. You are also positionally dead to sin. But I sin. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace grace might increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? This has happened. It's over. It's done. We are God's special possession. Identity. He has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light so that we may proclaim who he is. And time doesn't allow me to keep going, but if you started looking at positional sanctification is what Matt said It gives us the foundation that we have. It gives us why we live. What can I add to what he's done? And yet, we do that, don't we? So when I sin, is it a week that I beat myself up? Is it two weeks? Do I hold it all the time? Or do I go to the cross? And I say, yes, Lord, you've done it. You've done it. Heal me. Free me. Set me apart to you again. To, and so I guess my question to you would be, so what's my response to positional sanctification? What's my response? What I don't add, but what do I do? And I'll say this. My response in life is this. To rest. To rest in his finished work. To be diligent though. This is not chilling on the couch with the, and I can't even do those things. I don't know how kids do that with the game. It's not chilling on the couch. You're striving to enter his rest. You're striving to enter what he's done. That's why we meet. That's why we meet. So we can keep, telling each other who we are and how we live. This is why we study the word. This is why Matt has been honest about studying the word. It's not where I'll be some academic. I'll be some guy with all this stuff in me. But that I will know. I will know what he's done and I will live according to what he's done. Does that make sense? It's about living free. And that's what Paul was so adamant about in this in this letter to the the Galatians. So, the next the next keynote, please. Again, this is the power of the gospel. Progressive sanctification. The ongoing work of the Holy Spirit's power to conform you into the image of Christ. This is the fun stuff. Day by day by day by day. I am going to kill you, Kevin. I'm going to kill you so that Christ can come. We are transformed into his likeness. We put on the new self. Sin has no more dominion over over me. I can say no. My desires have changed. And each and every time the Holy Spirit works on me, he's changing my heart. You know what? He doesn't sleep. We sleep. I think even in my sleep, he deals with me. We have dreams, don't we? He deals with us. I had a dream the other night, and I know it was him. And I'm telling you, it's, it's awesome when God speaks to us, isn't it? That's our Father. He wants to change us. We are now slaves to righteousness. It is his work that disciplines us, corrects us, teaches us in the way which we should live. This should be a joy to us, but is it? (laughs) I'm going to say that rhetorically. Is it? He will use relationships, circumstances, experiences, our mistakes, our sin, our victories, his word, people that hate us in order to bring about his accomplished goal, Jesus Christ being seen. Jesus Christ being seen. You know what? There's a world out there that's looking for self-help, right? We have the answer. Him. Him. It's time. It's time to speak. Again, you all have him. Hmm. The other thing that progressive sanctification is doing is training us for the new earth. You guys know that? You're going to have stuff to do in the new earth. Hopefully, uh, well, I won't be like a little fat little cherub sitting on the cloud with my harp. There will be stuff to do. God's training you. For the new earth and it's awesome it will be awesome so what is now my response to progressive sanctification to persevere a righteous man falls seven times but he rises up again keep going keep seeking keep going for God keep moving in him Yield, yield to his promptings. Obey his word. Guess what? There's a lot of stuff in here we don't have to really worry about because he said what it is. I think sometimes we, we wrangle about his word. He says, don't do that. Do that. And when the Holy Spirit comes and, and speaks to you about his word, it's easy. It should be easy. We don't add to our salvation. But listen, we do add to our faith. There's something different. And this can be very interesting. I'll read 2 Peter 1, 5 through 8. Now for this very reason, apply it in all your diligence. In your faith, supply moral excellence. Virtue. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, and I'm going to stop right there because this can be where we start thinking we can add. And here's where it almost can be like superstition. Because I can also add in there praying, reading the word, coming to church. What else can I do? If, and I'm going to finish the scripture, but listen, if, let's say I don't do it. I don't like read the, I used to read the word like every day and I don't on Saturday. How do you feel about that? Oh no, God's not going to bless me. I didn't read. Oh, no, I didn't pray today. God's not going to bless me today. That's superstition. And many Christians live that way. It's not superstition. It's, It's our heart attitude towards God. So let me finish this. If these qualities are yours and they're increasing, praying, reading, all these things they render you neither useless or unfruitful in the true knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's the bottom line, that I would know him. That's progressive sanctification, that I would know him. So let's go to the fun one. Perfected sanctification. Oh, man. This is the cool one. It is our positional sanctification realized. The stuff that I said earlier, it's now done, fully complete. We have no idea what that's like, right? Isaiah said it. You have no idea. He didn't say it like that. He said said it a lot different in Hebrew. But he said, you have no idea what God has planned for you. But we have a glimpse. We have a glimpse. We will be complete with a new body. That without sin. Can you even understand that? I, shh, no sin. At all. Whoa. Yeah. whoa. Whoa. The redemption of our body and an inheritance undefiled. And we will see the Lord face And he will wipe away all our tears. There will be no more pain. And yes, we will give an account before him of the lives we lived. And may we hear, well done, good and faithful servants. But guess what we will do? We will lay our crowns down at his feet because he did it all. He is the author and the perfecter of our faith. So now what is my response to perfected sanctification? I wait. But waiting again is an active word. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. Deny ungodliness brothers and sisters, worldly desires and live sensibly in this world looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's waiting. So this is why Paul was so adamant with Peter. Peter knew the truth, didn't he? He went to Cornelius' house. The Holy Spirit fell on them. And he didn't go, hey, let's go get circumcised now. Let's go add to what you just did. No, he said, get baptized. He preached the good news. Peter knew. Yet when those came from Jerusalem, one of the things I I heard about the Judaizers, they were bullies. Some of the commentaries I read, they actually were like Sal and Vinny. (laughs) Either circumcise them or we'll take you out back and we'll pummel you. So I'm wondering if that was why Peter was fearful. I don't know. Or was it still a cultural bias for him? Remember, oh, Lord, I can't eat that. All food is clean now, Peter. Whoa, whoa, you know, is there a cultural bias? Was he afraid of offending? Boy, is that a big deal now, right? Huh? Or was he afraid of a certain demographic? But here's what happened. If we don't live in this truth... The tenor of our lives. That's really um Matt has one of those um what do you call it where you tune something. But yeah, back in <laughs> I thought it was something else. Remember the old the old where you would hit the tuning fork and you'd hear the sound? That should be our that should be our sound. Right? Well here's what happened because Peter went into this hypocrisy and put on a, a mask, put on a fake mask. He took others down the same road with him. That's scary, because now Peter's going to have had to give an account for what he did. We can lead others down the same path where there is no power. None. What we used to say... Back in the day, is <clears throat> what we get saved out of is, more, is not as important as what we get saved into. And Peter's hypocrisy was a denial of this power. And it separated the body of Christ. There were these guys eating over here, these guys eating over here. Can the body of Christ be separated? No. You are either in the family or you're not. That's what I used to always say, and I know there are rivers, creeks, streams, but they all make glad the heart of God. We need to fix our eyes on Christ, guys, not on each other. And that's what Peter was doing. God has given you a measure of faith. Don't look around. Strengthen your faith your gifting what we've been talking about the charismata strengthen your gifting you know what there's guys that are way smarter than me way smarter way more theologically attuned but but kevin you you whatever you have start strengthening that how about your calling don't look at someone else's calling What is God calling you to do? Obviously, the commission is all of us. But what is he calling you to do in order that you would grow into the unity of the faith? We know Peter was repentant. Why? Because in Acts chapter 15, there was a council at Jerusalem. And he stood with Paul and said, you don't do that. We don't circumcise the Gentiles because the power of the gospel is in a transformed heart. They said a couple other things that were weird, but, you know, drinking blood and all that stuff, because I guess that that's, was important, but they, they stood together again and said, this is the power of the gospel, Amen? Amen, Amen. Stand with me. I think it's very important, and I was thinking of Susan. Susan was an act, an actress in Shakespearean play, and uh, it's that mask, that that smiley mask, and that that sad mask. You know what I mean? That's what Peter did. He put on a mask. God wants truth in the innermost being. And the gospel, if we don't, I guess if we don't understand it, then let's get into it. Let's get into it. But let's pull our masks off. Right? Right? I'm not afraid of offending because I stand here one who has been made different by the power of God. And only he did it. And only he will do it. And he will finish it one day. Amen? Amen.